also excited because our guest today is the VP of Growth and Marketing for Confident Cannabis, a wholesale cannabis platform that connects cannabis cultivators, laboratories, and retailers. He's also the former GM of The Cannabist, a cannabis news outlet powered by the Denver Post, and the former co-host of Nerd AF, a weekly podcast all about things nerd. Please welcome Brad Bogus. Brad, thanks so much for being here today, my friend. Hey, thanks for having me on, Montel. Absolutely. Let, you know, we've got a lot to talk about an explanation of what some of these things are, but let's talk a little bit about, you know, your company that is Confident Cannabis, this wholesale yep. cannabis platform that connects cannabis cultivators, laboratories, and retailers. What exactly do you do and what states are you operating in? Yeah, so uh, we're a software company. <clears throat> we intended to solve what we identified as being the biggest problem in uh, cannabis and uh, that, that was the biggest problem we could solve with some software. <laughs> the, uh, the, the biggest problem that we heard from cannabis operators nationwide were federal legalization and banking were a big problem. But the third biggest problem that they uh, told us was that wholesale trading is just way too hard, that it's hard to trust whom, uh, who is a good player, who's a bad player. It's hard to trust uh, lab results or that something has even been tested at a lab and is safe and pesticide-free or even test at the potency that they say that it, that it tests for. And uh, and then there was just like some of the, the basic logistics of wholesale trading that sucked. And, you know, that's text messaging and phone calls and emails and like this endless stream of communication that it requires to build a good relationship in the cannabis industry. And so we sought out to fix that problem. Uh, our wholesale marketplace is the evolution of many years worth of work connecting to laboratories, arming them with software, and in uh, accruing tested lab results from across the nation. We now work with over half the labs nationwide. We get test results uh, passed through our system, through those labs every single day, and we get to see all this cannabis chemistry. And for us, this was like the missing piece to making wholesale trading online really work for cannabis companies. By connecting those lab test results to a company's inventory, you can trust what you, can, what you see. Transparency is above board. You know, you know what things test for, and you know that everybody's licensed and uh, and, and in the system correctly in the regulatory system. So, um, oh, go ahead. No, this is more of a B two B initiative when it comes to software, correct? That's right. That's right. Yes. Yeah. Um, consumers can't use our wholesale platform, but all of the products that they buy in stores come from uh, retailers buying. Uh, cannabis from other cannabis companies through a platform like ourselves or just through relationships that they build on their own. So, yeah, it's just let's, how let's those make sure, let's make sure, well, let's, let's make sure, though, that we, we identify for it because I got a lot of consumers who actually tune into Let's Be Bud and they need yeah. to understand that you are connecting people within each state because currently we That's cannot right. transfer, transport cannabis across state lines. And that's something that needs to actually be said and stated unless it is a black market product. That's right. That's right. And in fact, we actually are dealing with a lot of these types of issues that are, deal that are happening with counterfeit products where uh, a, a product that has been shipped across state lines and is being sold on the illicit market will be using the same packaging or the same test results as a licensed product, say, from California. And, uh, and and that's sort of critical in this whole you know uh, uh, current news cycle around the vaping crisis. But aside from that, yeah, we're we're arming those businesses within each state. The way that cannabis is regulated requires each state to have its own set of regulations, and and everything stays contained within that state. 
So Meaning every also, just so again, as we slow you down for yep. just a second, because we got no listeners worries. and I want them to understand. That means that, guys, as you listen in, what, what Brad is talking about is the fact that each individual state that you're in should have its own grow, its own processing, its own packaging, and contained within that state. So if you're buying cannabis in Maryland, cannabis that you buy in Maryland shouldn't be cannabis that's been, so you've been told, well, you know, we brought this in from California. That's a lie. That's and right. if it was brought in from California, then you can't trust what you see on the labels of that packaging. You really can't. And I'm, I'll refer to a, uh, a report I saw last week on one of the network news programs that, you know, they tested something like 18 different products in one particular state and found out that, you know, uh, they were finding chemicals in high quantities of cyanide in yes. various products. And also looking at the way people are processing materials and processing cannabis. You know, you may see a brand that you, you, you saw in a dispensary in Los Angeles or in San Francisco that was at a legitimate dispensary in California. You may mm-hmm. see that brand on a shelf in another state and think, oh, this must be the same product. Doesn't necessarily have to be. That product could be a black market product that has been packaged and labeled in somebody's basement in this other state using the same product uh, packaging that you saw in California, correct? That Absolutely. I mean, look, I, I grew up in Texas and uh, started using cannabis in Texas. And I can tell you that Texas still isn't regulated. So the products that we got in Texas rarely ever were created in Texas. There definitely wasn't lab testing happening on those products. There was no safety. There was no check and balance. There was no way for me as a consumer to know that I wasn't putting poison in my body. And that still continues to this day. I mean, some of the biggest brands in California are constantly being counterfeited or sold over state lines when some of their product is not passing um, compliant test results, which means that they're not, they're either failing for heavy metal uh, components inside the cannabis or they're failing for, you know, formaldehyde or pesticides and like some things that you just, nobody would ever want to put into their body willingly. But when you are in a state that's, you know, still not regulated, um, or if you're in a regulated state but getting product from a different state, um, you, can't, you can't be uh, assured that that stuff isn't there. Correct. You can't be assured that it's really the product that you think it is. I mean, you can find a brand right. name, again, in California, a brand name in D.C., and think that that's the same brand name when you see it in Ohio or you see it in Florida, and it isn't. And, That's right. and I defy anybody to be able to tell me, oh, it's the exact same product. Because if it is, that means that the people that are actually trying to wholesale it are breaking about, you know, five or six federal laws by bringing it across state lines and then by, you know, repackaging it and not testing it. Mm-hmm. So you really have to be concerned. And I'm, I'm telling you, I think, you know, you, you mentioned earlier when I said, you know, um, tell me a little bit about, you know, uh, competent cannabis. You said we were trying to fulfill one of the top needs in the industry, and I agree with you, I think that educating the wholesalers and educating the, the businesses is important, but I really think yeah. that the number one need right now in this industry is educating the consumer. Let's back Absolutely. up for a second. Let's back up a little bit for a second, Brad. Why don't you talk a little bit? Yeah. How did you even end up becoming a part of the cannabis industry? 
<laughs> yeah, um, that's a good question. And, you know, the funny thing is that you can talk to a thousand different cannabis uh, industry operators and get a thousand different insurance stories. Uh, but essentially, it all kind of comes to uh, intention. I, I was a startup founder in Austin, Texas for about 11 years. And, um, you know, I just came to a point where I wanted to try something new and I wanted to try something exciting and I wanted to do something that really mattered. And um, and I talked to the mentor of mine and asked, you know, like, hey, how do you figure out what you want to be when you grow up? <laughs> and, you know, I was like, I, I know I have all these skills. I have all this stuff that I've been doing over the last, you know, 11 years of my career. Where, where should I take it? And he's like, make it easy on yourself. Pick one industry that you just really seem interested in that just captures your fancy and then just look for opportunities there. And I was like, well, that's easy. It's cannabis. And he was like, wow, uh, well, you didn't have to think about that. Why? Why is it cannabis? And I was like, well, I mean. I've been using it for 10 years personally, but I also know a ton about it. There's, you know, the the fact that we've been lied to about what this plant can do for us for so many years. And now we're starting to figure that out through science and through experimentation and just activism really excites me. Um, there's a social justice element to this where we can actually correct the wrongs and the evils that our society has has wrought on its citizenry over the war on drugs. There's so many components that make cannabis interesting to me. And I think it's just like, you know, there's only once in a lifetime opportunity that a new industry starts from scratch before your very eyes. If you have the opportunity to get involved in that, you should. And so I did. And um, I looked for an opportunity. I found one at the cannabis. I knew somebody who worked at the Denver Post from some work I did previously in Austin, gave him a call. And, you know, who you know really matters a lot of times. Um, luckily, I was able to get a really great opportunity at the cannabis and I joined the industry very quickly. Absolutely. And and in in doing so, you know, you first set out again, starting with did you start first with cannabis? The yeah. the okay, I'll talk a little bit about cannabis. Yeah, so the cannabis is a um publication within the Denver Post. The Denver Post is a multi Pulitzer Prize award winning newspaper outlet and was the first mainstream news outlet to get into the the beat of reporting on cannabis. Um, it was started by the editor-in-chief, um, uh, Ricardo Baca, whom was the music editor at the Denver Post for the previous 13 years before they started this property. And when it started, it brought so much legitimacy to the news and the reporting uh, coming from the cannabis industry. Um, it was arguably one of the only real super journalistically responsible and ethical uh, sources of news in the cannabis industry. And so when I joined, they really needed someone to help kind of steer the business of it, uh, help generate revenues, market the brand, um, you know, do a number of the things that happen on the business side of publication, not the editorial side. And that's what the general manager position was that I took over for. So, you know, my background in, in startup ownership and working in uh, uh, media and content um, really sort of made me an irregular hire for that position, which is normally just a sales position. But, um, you know, I was able to breathe some of that of my previous career into this role and um and kind of help uh raise the level of the of, of the brand itself nationally so it was one of the most respected brands in cannabis journalism out there um it still exists to this day but it's not what it used to be well why did it why did it kind of come to an end not an end but it it, it definitely transformed into something new yeah, exactly. Well, um, you know, there's it, it's not news to say that the uh, journalism industry is, you know, definitely dealing with a lot of transition problems uh, in the world of digital. Um, one of those problems is that a lot of 
giant conglomerates own, you know, local newspapers, and they make decisions based on how to increase profitability, usually by making cost-cutting measures and laying off work staff and, you know, selling off things. Uh, until they they declare a thing bankrupt, right? It's called vulture capitalism in the in the uh, journalism industry, and you know the the Denver Post is certainly no exception. So the cannabis itself, while it was actually generating profitable revenue for the first time ever uh, while I was leading it, uh, was still just not enough of a line item for them on their long list of line line items that they were looking to cross off in any given period. And just like out of nowhere, completely after they had invested a bunch of money into it, they just reversed course and were just like, nope, we're going to go ahead and ax the whole staff. So they laid off um, all of the sales positions. They, they uh, dissolved my position. Uh, shortly thereafter, they laid off the editor-in-chief and then the remaining reporters. And now it's just sort of a property within the Denver Post that's managed by the wire. You know, um, news just kind of populates through through bots and uh, whatever the Denver Post actually writes about the topic will get posted there. But outside of that, it has no dedicated staff like it used to. Gotcha. And so there really isn't a, a forum for that now anywhere, is there? Well, there is actually. Um, since the cannabis sort of started to lead in this place, a number of different other mainstream uh, newspapers started to jump into it. I mean, very quickly thereafter, I think uh, SFGate in San Francisco uh, in the SF Chronicle, I think they were uh, they had jumped into it with their own uh, cannabis um, uh, properties. And then um, outside of just like, you know, you've also got the Boston Globe doing it, um, the Washington Post. I think Politico now uh, has a, a dedicated cannabis uh, reporter as well as um, uh, CNN. Uh, in fact, Alicia Wallace, who used to be one of the, the reporters at the Denver Post who worked exclusively on the cannabis, is now uh, reporting on cannabis for CNN. So. Um, so a lot of these other mainstream news properties started to pick up the ball with this and realize this beat was serious. Um, and then also a lot of the cannabis publications that had existed previously that weren't really well known for this started to hire much more credible journalists to write for them. So now you get great hard hitting uh, investigative uh, journalism coming from like Leafly, which previously was just an information source for strains. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's definitely like. It, it's blown up now. There are a lot of credible sources you can turn to. Uh, it's not just one, which is a good thing. And that's probably now with, with the, the dissolution of the cannabis, that's what sent you down the path of confident cannabis. Correct. Correct. Yeah. I mean, I, I found myself, you know, sort of in a new industry uh, without a position and luckily had built such a, a, a network of people in the industry so quickly that I was able to just rely on that network again for finding my next opportunity. Took a few months. I had to do a little bit of consulting here and there to pay the bills, but uh, eventually one of the, uh, one of the other operators I know in the space introduced me to the founders here at Confident Cannabis. And uh, over the next couple of months, I got to know them, talk with them a little bit about what their needs were. And uh, then they recruited me to California. Okay. Now you, you, you're doing some work right now in Michigan. Is that right? That is, yeah, yeah, oh, that is right. We, we've launched our wholesale platform. It started first in uh, Oregon last year, and then uh, we just launched it in Michigan this summer. Uh, and we've been working uh, a, a lot with, um, oddly, with caregivers there, uh, more so than with licensed businesses, because Michigan's in a weird little space as a cannabis state. Well, let's talk a little bit about Michigan. You're, you're doing a lot of work there trying to ensure that it's a, a, a well-represented industry across the board. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Michigan is a 
it's one of the more interesting cannabis markets out there. Very unique. Um, I'm always interested in these states where you you find a large working class um, population and a lot of blue collar workers of a diverse population, because these are the states where cannabis is is arguably needed the most, um, particularly for its medicinal properties. And and Michigan has a has just a a fervor for this. There's there's definitely a demand Um, in Michigan's like first year. Um, they were already as large of a market as Oregon was four years into their legal market. So just to give your, your listeners a sense of what that means, Oregon's one of the most um, amazing states for cannabis. They grow the best cannabis in the world, in my opinion. And, uh, and they have, you know, plenty of people who consume it. Um, but that state has been uh, legal since 2014. And uh, Michigan just became legal this year. And they're already performing at the same level as Oregon. So there's a lot of potential. There's a lot of growth that's going to happen. But where they are currently is in a massive undersupply market. What that means is that there's just not enough cannabis being grown. And if you go to a retail store, most of anywhere in Michigan, you're going to find very few options of flour that you can buy on the shelves. Um, I went to one of the more uh, established dispensary, uh, they call them provisioning centers, in Detroit. and And I had five options of flour. And that was it. And I'm used to, you know, 25 to sometimes as much as 150 options of flour, depending on what state I'm in and what retail store I'm in. So five was shocking. You know, that was like very, very little. So we've been trying to help them get get over this problem, right? Like uh, we have a wholesale marketplace. Retailers should be able to source and buy cannabis from licensed producers. But when there's no cannabis to be found, where do they turn to? How do they provide options to their patients? And so what's happened recently is the uh, governing body of Michigan has allowed for their medical caregivers, of which there are 40,000 in the state who produce cannabis for patients, uh, to have a pathway to take their cannabis and move it through a licensed cultivator or processor to get it tested. And once it passes testing, the way the state forces all things to pass testing, then it can actually enter the licensed market. And so we've been helping find good quality, tested, safe cannabis from the caregiver market to establish with different uh, licensed partners that we're connected to to help give them the supply that they don't know how to find. So the, these individual caregivers are allowed to grow, I guess, clearly, on their own. And then yep. how do they then you know, ramp up to be able to provide? How many licenses are in the state of Michigan now? 2,000? Yeah, yeah, it's actually under the under 2000. Um, they just passed through a, a, a bevy of licenses through emergency provisions because it was taking so long to get license processed. So I think they were sitting at a thousand. They passed about 500 through and there's another 500 looking to be passed soon. So it, it will be at 2000 quickly. But uh, yeah, right now it's functionally really just a thousand. And what, that thousand license getting up and running as it is. Sorry. Okay, that's a thousand licenses for dispensaries, for processing, and for cultivating. That's right. That's all of that combined. Um, there are more uh, provisioning centers than there are um, any other individual ca- uh, category. So I think of that, you might uh, don't quote me here, but maybe it's something in the neighborhood of like two to three hundred licenses are cultivators specifically. Uh, might be a little bit more than that, but e- even at their like max capacity. They just can't fill that amount of stores. And of those 500 emergency licenses that just got passed, a lot of those are going to be um, uh, retail centers that are going to be up and running well before 
the cultivators because it's just like a shorter pathway to getting a business started to open up a store versus, you know, putting in all the infrastructure and uh, design and then growing cannabis and then harvesting it and drying it and curing it and then getting it tested and then selling it like that's at shortest a nine month path, usually a one and a half to two year path for a cultivator to get up and running. So there's going to be more demand than there will be supply sooner rather than later. The, the, the problem is not going to solve itself other than tapping into this caregiver supply and finding a pathway for it to be safe and compliant and then connecting retailers to that supply, which is what we've been having to do a lot. And the caregivers, now, they can provide product to individual patients. They Correct. can't wholesale. Is that right? Is that how it Correct. works? Correct. That is how it works. Yeah. Yeah. It's very similar to uh, California's medical market from like 95 through, uh, you know, just two years ago or last year, where you have, um, you know, it can be any person who just uh, signs up to be a caregiver. Like they do have a, a special caregiver designation, but um, once you do that, you're, you, you have a, a plant count you're allowed to, to grow to. And depending on however many patients that you grow for, you can increase that plant count. So if I, I think each caregiver is allowed to grow up to 72 plants and then uh, caregivers can form little co-ops where they all grow together um, and they have a bevy of patients that they service. They're not allowed to sell into the regulated market. Like that's how the regulated market was established. So um, effectively, they're sort of like cut out. But the the problem is that the regulated market didn't provide enough cannabis. So the state was like, we're we're not providing our mandate to our patients. Like our patients need options. We need to make sure they make it, they they have options. So there's a temporary memo that they released that allows for this pathway for caregivers to be to to get their product into licensed stores, and it has to be processed through uh, a, an actual existing licensee and go through compliance testing. But it's a temporary fix, and it's and it's a, it's intended to be a temporary fix. In the future, say a year from now. Caregivers are going to be pushed sort of out of the Michigan market. Um, I, I don't know where it's going to stand in terms of allowing them to continue to grow for patients. That there might be some level where that's allowed, but they, the executive director of the regulatory group in Michigan, is in almost certain terms said we're not making room for caregivers in the regulated market. Well, there is a big push though now to ensure though that there's equity in getting women, people of color. Who are probably yeah, a lot yeah. of those caregivers into part of the industry, and that's something that you've been working on, right? Yeah, yeah. So that's the other thing that makes Michigan pretty unique is that of all the states who have um, initiated uh, equity licensing programs, Michigan has actually stated that they want to have 50% of all of the state's licenses be issued to equity applicants. Um, that's way more um, uh, inclusion than any state has declared that they're trying to achieve with their program. Um, and, and I think that's pretty interesting. Michigan's got like the right sort of uh, foundation for that to happen, but there needs to be more meat to the skeleton, so to speak, on that program to make it really effective. And that meat comes in the form of dollars, right? Um, the equity programs that exist across the nation for cannabis are the start of what hopefully should be blossom into a robust way to kind of threat the war on drugs um, and, and the victims of the war on drugs. We, we've, as a society, we have punished and, and stricken down the ability for wealth to be generated in so many communities because of the war on drugs. 
that even if we provide a pathway to people of color getting licenses within the cannabis industry, which requires expungement of records and, and requires allowing for uh, previous felons to still be able to get a license, um, which are things that are not generally popular amongst the authorities of, in any given state, once you get them there, uh, they have to go through this long process of licensing and applications and making sure that they're setting their properties up for code and that they can pass regulatory audits and inspections all of which are very expensive, but then they also still need money to start their businesses. And when you're talking about communities where, you know, so many fathers have been put in prison, you know, unjustly for cannabis that is now legal in, in these states, um, that there, there's a loss in income and a loss in uh, value accrued for that family to be able to invest in themselves, for their communities to be able to invest in their uh, neighbors. And so, um, so one of the things that we're trying to help do is, is promote and, um, and support programs that are bringing money to the table. And we just started a, um, our corporate social responsibility strategy within Confident Cannabis, which is basically our strategy as a company to do, to be a good citizen, to do right, to give back. Um, it's not just where we're going to donate money and then put out press releases about where we donated money. It's actually going to be a lot more about where we donate time and uh, effort to help support, mentor, and then also fund these uh, these different equity applicants. And so we've we've already identified two different uh, organizations that we're going to start working with. Um, one of which uh, puts money right back into the hands of equity licensees in uh, Portland, and one that works with equity applicants in Oakland to help them get started. And we're going to continue to identify these different opportunities across the board. We haven't yet found one uh, that we're going to work with in Michigan, but we will very shortly. And uh, yeah, it's, it's a major effort and a major initiative for us as a company to not just put money behind this, but to also get our employees involved in giving back and uh, providing a pathway for people of color and for women to, uh, to have a more inclusive industry. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you say you have not identified one in Michigan yet. Not yet, no, no, no. Uh, but we are we are actively pursuing that. We're we're evaluating a number of those organizations right now. It, the the phase with which we're at in our corporate social responsibility is specifically the identify and start connecting with uh, organizations phase. <laughs> I don't, it's not the official title, but that's that's what we're currently working on. So um, so we've started looking at a number of different organizations. We haven't really uh, been able to connect with any of them and have meaningful conversations quite yet. But uh, that that is very much on the uh, on the forefront of our minds for 2020. Okay. Sure. Tell me a little bit about Competent Cannabis's new offering. It's called Connect. Ah, uh, yeah. The Connect. 3D mapping system. Yeah, Connect is my favorite thing as a cannabis nerd. Um, when you said earlier that uh, the the number one problem in the, in the industry is lack of education um, for consumers specifically, uh, if not also for businesses, uh, Connect is our way of trying to provide as much of that as we possibly can about cannabis chemistry. Um, the, the premise here is that you can tell people, here's a strain of cannabis, it's called strawberry cough. And then here's another strain of cannabis, somebody else grew it, it's also called strawberry cough. And that patient or that consumer might think those two things are going to be the same, when they're not the same. And the reason they're not the same is because cannabis is, as a plant, it, it grows in a lot of different ways, and the genetics of that plant aren't necessarily the best predictor as to what the chemistry of that final product is going to look like. So essentially, the way cannabis makes us feel, the effect it gives us, or the conditions it treats, 
Um, that, that effect is provided by a combination of different compounds, cannabinoids and terpenes, which are like the smells and the flavors and the aromas, the essential oils of the plant, plus the active chemicals. And those proportions of each of those chemicals is different all across the board from plant to plant, from grower to grower, from strain to strain. And so the idea here is that like as patients and as consumers, we should be able to predict what effect we're going to have from the cannabis that we're buying because, you know, I mean, while it smells and tastes great, we're buying it for effect. And it's really hard for people to predict what that effect is. Um, one of the largest growing segments of consumers in the cannabis industry are seniors, and seniors really need to be able to predict the effect of what they're trying to buy. Um, especially if they're trying to treat a specific condition, if they get cannabis that makes them panicky or makes them loopy, uh, makes them feel irresponsible, they're not going to continue to use it. But it might be a very, very, very strong help to whatever problem that they're dealing with. And so Connect takes all of the lab chemistry data that we get from all the labs across the uh, United States and, um, and, and looks at just cannabis flower, because that's the one that has the most question marks um, in terms of what you should expect takes just cannabis flower that has been tested for the full um, uh, uh, realm of cannabinoids and terpenes and puts them into a space where you can see which ones are chemically the same, which ones are chemically dissimilar, um, where the cannabis market sort of uh, tends to be uh, grouping in terms of chemistry. Um, you can see where the CBD strains out there live by their color. They're the pink and purple and blue strains that kind of live in an island away from the rest of the green strains, which are high THC strains. And so what we did was we took all this data and we, were, and we put it into a visual format, which is like this 3D map called Connect. And you can explore the cannabis strain universe essentially this way by seeing all the different types of strains that we have that are in wide circulation that are trading in all these uh, eight different states that we currently showcase. And you can see what chemicals are in those plants. You can find out, for instance, that indica and sativa don't mean anything chemically. But that's how 98% of cannabis is bought and sold. So there's this education portion that needs to be unlocked about cannabis, which is getting past the myths that we currently hold about how cannabis works and, and what effects you should expect. Oh, if you want to feel, you know, uh, peppy, you just need sativa. Uh, if you want to feel, you know, sedated and like sleeping on the couch, you need indica. As if the cannabis effect universe is binary, and it definitely isn't. Uh, that's our doubt, best way of showcasing doubt. that. Yes. Yeah, without a doubt. I and mean, I think that's one of the things that, that, that the industry needs to start focusing on to not only, you know, reach out to attract a larger number of consumers, but at the same time to be more responsible. Mm-hmm. That's absolutely right. I mean, I can't tell you the amount of times I've heard bud tenders make suggestions to people looking for help for medical conditions based on just, man, this stuff is fire. It's 27% THC. Right. And it just it drives me crazy because I'm like, you guys are sort of acting like uh, nurses in this uh, environment. You know, you're, you're not like bartenders. You don't go to a bar and say, hey, bartender, you know, I've been dealing with this like serious migraine issue my whole life. I don't really know what to do. I've turned to everything and nothing works. What whiskey do you suggest? You know, right. and, then, yeah. and then at the same time, at the same time, trying to give the impression that one particular brown liquor is different than another particular brown liquor when you have no idea what's in it. That's right. That's exactly right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So, you know, I, I, I use cannabis a lot I, and I, and I love flowers. So I'm a huge flower nerd. Um, I, I smoke as much of it as I can. Um, and, and I use it for a, a litany of different reasons, but a lot of it is for medication reasons. And then a lot of it's just for fun. Um, well, I mean, I, I, would, I, have, I have been, I have been on record as saying that the majority of people out here who even recreationally use don't even admit to or don't recognize that that recreational use and their choice of cannabis over liquor was probably based on some sort of underlying medical issue that, right. though, albeit it may not be a profound medical issue, but it might be the fact that I just want to feel a little bit better. I want to feel totally. a little bit better. I want to be able to relax. I want to be able to sleep better. And those are underlying medical issues. That's right. That's right. Yeah, I think I've even heard um, uh, another person agree with you on this that has a big profile in the industry. Steve D'Angelo, I believe, said once that all cannabis use is medicinal. Um, Yeah, I've I've been saying that now for like almost 10 years myself. Totally, totally. Yeah. And and, and there are a number of people in the industry that, that, that agree with that position. Um, you know, the, the fact of the matter is that like, if I had been born maybe in 1985 instead of 1980, I probably would have been diagnosed with ADD and put on Ritalin. But instead I've had to throughout my life navigate my own issues of procrastination and distraction and, you know, inability to focus on one thing, uh, and, and have to harness that in a number of ways. But when I found cannabis, all of that sort of, you know, I I can now like you medicate throughout the day, focus on my work get work done and, and to a high level and then go home and connect with my wife and have some fun smoking some weed. But I still know that like those levels of distraction that my brain are apt to, to, to pull itself into are, are going to be sort of subdued by me using cannabis, whether it's recreational or not. You know, my brain's not yeah. going to make that choice for me. It, it's something Absolutely. that it needs. It's something that helps it. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I totally see that. And I, and I think that that's kind of how we should start thinking about cannabis across the board. Um, and, one and of the I ways think, that, but, you know, one, one of the things that I, I do with the show and uh, on this podcast is to make sure that people are educated enough to know that when you make statements like that, Brad, you're not making a statement like that based on just your own personal use. This is, I know you did research the same way I did. And a lot of people have done, but for those right. that are listening and tuning in right now, you have to understand that the federal government has done research on this also. And That's has right. had research that has been documented and published. This isn't something that we're just, I, you know, I Brad are just sitting back right. shooting the crap about. You know, the U.S. government owns a patent right now on yep. CBD and on cannabinoids. As a matter of fact, it's a patent that you can look up yourself and understand that they wrote in their patent abstract. Here, I'm going to read you a little bit of it, right? The second thing so you understand when statements like this are made, we're not just talking trash we're telling you what the u.s government agreed to themselves as a matter of fact in the u.s government patent 6630507b1 in that patent they have an abstract and what the abstract is is the paragraph or paragraphs that describe why they believe um, enough in whatever it is that they've asked for patent in they give you the actual medical research that they've done and in the u.s patent yep. abstract for 6630507B, it states, cannabinoids have been found to have antioxidant properties unrelated to MDNA uh, receptor antagonism. This newfound yep. property makes cannabinoids useful in the treatment of prophylaxis of a wide variety of oxidative or oxidation-associated diseases such as ischemic, age-related, inflammatory, autoimmune diseases. The cannabinoids are found to have particular application 
as neuroprotectants, for mm-hmm. example, in limiting neurodegenerative or neurological damage following ischemic uh, insults such as stroke, trauma, and in the treatment of neurodegenerative diseases such as Alzheimer's disease, Parkinson's disease, HIV, dementia, neuro and uh, non-psychoactive cannabinoids such as cannabidiol are particularly advantageous uh, to use because they avoid toxicity that is encountered with psychoactive cannabinoids such as in high doses. So these are words that our government wrote and yeah. researched, not just coming out of Brad Montel. But go ahead, Brad. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I mean what I what I really love about that research that the government did was that initially. It was set out to show what a menace cannabis really was. Uh, I think the government um, had three separate studies done during the uh, the rise of the war on drugs to try to bolster their argument that cannabis was a menace. And each and every time, their own studies came back and showed it had great medicinal value. They just this is back in 2003, folks. This is back as far as 2003. This isn't yesterday. This isn't 2019. Right. I'm talking 2003. And our government spent, you know, $50 million to $100 million doing research in places like Israel and other places around the world, like you said, Brad, to disprove yep. any medical efficacy for cannabis. And they came back basically stoling and saying the exact opposite. Exactly. Exactly. Because there, there's, I mean, it. At this point, it feels obvious, which is kind of a funny place to be in, considering the history that we grew up in. But uh, the, the the fact that this was happening during the same time that, you know, my parents were, were having it drilled into their brain, that there was not only no medicinal value to cannabis, but that it was actively destroying brain cells in our brains. I grew up in the D.A.R.E. program where it was constantly, I mean, it was just fried eggs over and over and over in front of my face. This is your brain on drugs. This is your brain on drugs. And it's right. such, what such a joke. nonsense. I know. I know. Especially, it's so funny to look back at. But it's especially such a joke knowing that the same, your parents, my parents, you know, friends of mine, people that I know, even myself, you know, we ran around here, you know, vilifying cannabis, not knowing that our government was spending the money validating its efficacy. That's right. That's right. Hey, look, I'll, I'll, I'll hold myself accountable. I used to be straight edge uh, in high school, and I actively uh, judged anyone who smoked weed or did any sort of uh, any other drugs. I mean, I just I looked at it as weak. I thought that it was, uh, you know, succumbing to a controlling substance. Um, I could not have been more wrong myself. And it's funny that I came around. I mean, I, when I hang out with some of my old high, uh, college friends and high school friends and they see me smoking weed now and also being a part of the industry, they're sort of like, who are you? <laughs> right. Well, you know, you I mean, know. I got to tell you, 100% disclosure, people know that, you know, I, I did a 17-year television talk show that was born out of me traveling around the country for three years, speaking at high schools all across this country, telling kids to stay away from drugs, stay away from negative youth trends, yeah. and became extremely popular because of that platform. And now I look back at that and realize some of the mistakes that I made and some of the, the false information that I was putting out. And at the same time that I was doing that, getting awards from the U.S. government for doing it, the U.S. government was spending money researching the efficaciousness of cannabis, which is just, just really ridiculous. That's so wacky, man. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it's kind of magical to, to reverse from these positions, isn't it? Like the Absolutely. fact that I feel, I, I, I feel like I had such conviction you know, earlier on, and, and I thought I was intelligent and educated in that conviction, 
and and it was and it was just based and predicated off of lies and 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 uh, propaganda. And when, well, yeah, when you can it, see but, that, but, yeah, I was just saying when, when when you can see that from the other side, it's magical. It's like it's like you've awakened from a from a bad dream, you know, and and you see very clearly, you know, that that layer of uh, of where lies are told and where profit motives sort of line up with. Uh, you know, government agendas around these types of things. You start to understand a little bit more about the prison industrial complex and right. what the war on drugs really ultimately has meant for the U.S. government. You know, uh, people say that the war on drugs is a failure, and I don't think it was a failure at all because it never was a war on drugs. It was a war on people, and they succeeded right. greatly in that war, and and so greatly that to try to get out of those ills is so difficult. But you know, right? They made they made, so, they made so much money. They made so much money and and created businesses in this country that was based on wars on people. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And uh, and that's where all of this comes from. So yeah, the fact that they were giving you awards while also doing the research is just like that extra slap in the face about it, isn't it? <laughs> oh, no question. And it's it's so freeing and and you know so revelatory. Being able to now be a part of this industry in teaching people how to navigate a space that is good for their health and wellness that we now know. I mean, 100% disclosure, yeah. I have product in the marketplace right now uh, under my own brand that right. um, I've had out now uh, for a couple of years. And we're rebranding, as a matter of fact, as we speak, I'm creating a brand new product that is is uh now called Live Better by Montel. I was doing lettuce okay. by Montel. Yep. But I have now a product that's called Live Better, which is, you know, both THC and CBD products. But I also, like yourself, like you've explained, and, you know, I'm so glad that you guys are doing this, especially with your Connect platform where you're literally taking a look at product and flower available. Now, I happen to be a key user, and I've been a key okay. smoker for now almost 17 years, long before it was Vogue, long before people, you know, back in the day when people were like, you know, here, you can take this. I don't want this, Keith. Well, That's was, right. You know, <laughs> literally, you know, getting Keith at, at, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50% off, you know, back in the day when I was yep. saying, do you happen to have any that has, this is back almost 18 years ago, trying to wow. find high CBD products where people are going, oh, you can have this. And when, when most people don't even know that, you know, the United States, you know, uh, uh, farmers literally tried their best to grow the CBD out of the plant during the right. 60s and the 70s, trying to see if they could achieve the highest THC levels that they could possibly achieve. I was actually looking for a product like that back in 2001, 2002, 3, and 4, when most people yeah. were turning against it, because I recognized back then, having done some of the research back then and seen what Dr. Michaud and others were doing, and yep. discovering the pathways that opened up in the brain, and also looking at you know, terpene profiles, and, right. you know, ensuring that, you know, terpenes that are something that are, are identified in plants other than cannabis, than, than the cannabis plant. Um, yeah, it's wild, isn't it? <laughs> that had already been recognized for medicinal benefits and for having attributes that made for, you know, either more bioavailability of the cannabinoids. So, you know, yeah. this is something that I'm glad that you, you, you have been working on and, and really trying your best to raise the level not just for consumers but also for the businesses out there to make them understand what it is they are providing to and putting in front of consumers absolutely absolutely yeah i mean i think that using connect has helped me as a as a cannabis consumer 
really uh, fine tune what I'm looking for, when and why. Um, I know very specifically now what combination of terpenes and cannabinoids send me off in a panic and make me fuzzy headed and unproductive. And I know exactly which ones are going to help me to focus and help me actually medicate for, uh, you know, my, my attention deficit and, and be productive. And, um, and I, and I figured that out some, you know, sort of leading up to the development of Connect just by smelling and, and journaling every single time I would try a new strain. I would smell it. I would journal whether it made me feel good or not good. And I started to f- figure out that orange smells of flowers tended to give me a bad reaction. And lemon smells tended to make me like classically stoned and laugh at bad movies. Uh, whereas right. if it smelled a little bit fruitier, more like berries, uh, I knew it would help me focus. But those are the strains that mostly, quote unquote, put people in the couch, right? And right. so like I, I, I knew brain chemistry was, was playing a part in this because my wife and I had different reactions to the same uh, strains of cannabis. So, Absolutely. Uh, so I knew that our brain chemistry had to play a portion of it. And then I also knew that, you know, some different combination of smells was signaling to me whether something was going to have the right profile I was looking for. But it wasn't until I was able to like apply that journaling and that experience to connect and figure out that it's terpenaline that I need to avoid specifically as a terpene. And, um, and THCV as a cannabinoid generally tends to show up in the strains that make me feel bad. So I started to learn like what the actual lexicon is around this and why it matters and understanding the proportion of, uh, of cannabinoids and terpenes in their entourage effect is a very unique and a very um, personal experience. You know, uh, we, we don't, we can't tell anyone right now what a certain product will make them feel like. And there are a number of companies out there doing this. They'll say like, oh, if Correct. you use this, this is calm. If you use this, this is, you know, uh, euphoric. But we don't really know that that's actually going to be the experience someone has. Um, because for the individual. Industry. Yeah, for right. the individual. Now, you know, I have a product that, that I, I call Relax and Alert. And for me, I say unequivocally that this works for me. It's my brain chemistry that it works That's for. Right. You need to try it out and see if you get the same effect. Now, I'll tell you, you know, I've, I've had a pretty universal response, but every now and then, once in a while, I'll get one person who will say, you know, I tried that alert, man. It knocked me on my ass. I'm like, how did it knock you on my ass? <laughs> I, I, I don't yeah. understand how it happened. But you have to understand that your brain chemistry and what you ate this morning is different than what I ate this morning. And right. it may affect you differently just the way you metabolize. That's right. That's right. Yeah. I mean, also, what prescription drugs might you be on if you're taking this Correct. at the same time? Have you had alcohol in the last week? You know, all Correct. these things are going to affect our experience with it. I, and, and, you know, like there's the, the pharmaceutical world has gotten to a point where they will tell you, here's what a thing does. And then here's all the things that it will also do in some people, you know, usually a very small, very minute, rare amount of people will experience X amount of these different litany of things, right? We're, we're fast approaching the, the world where cannabis is going to be spoken about in the same terms. You know, I, I don't think it's an irresponsible thing for a company to say this will make you calm, particularly when they've done a ton of research and have been able to identify that 99.5% of individuals are going to feel calm, right? Like, that's great. Uh, cannabis flower is a little harder to nail down in that regard, but even still, if you've got such a finite control over all of your inputs and outputs as a grower, you may be able to stabilize your grow chemically so that you are able to produce that over and over and over again and have done the research to prove it. It's just like we're we're lacking the medical research, you know? I I agree, and I think one of the things that, that we're also shying away from and trying to avoid is that, again, 
Now that we do have techniques to extract terpenes, we have techniques to extract certain cannabinoids, there are ways for us to manipulate even flour when we offer it up for sale by yep. adding a little bit back. You know, you can add a little keep that's in that has, you know, maybe a different profile, sprinkle that over your flour so that, yep. you know, you lift the level, reduce the level, like you said, terpenaline, and, you know, you can you can actually increase the level of beta-carolophylline. You can increase right. levels in there just by adding a little bit. And there's no reason why we aren't doing that. Yep. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Uh, how did you, uh, if you don't mind me asking you a question, uh, h- how did you find the, the, the right combination of cannabinoids and terpenes to help, to help you to, to treat what you were looking for? In, in, in a way, almost exactly the way you did without doing the extra journaling, but that was literally finding strains, finding strains, finding strains, and trying them. You know, I, I shifted yeah, over to yeah. Keith, and then when I went from Keith, I went to some extracts. But I primarily right now, I mean, I normally, I will consume a little keep this afternoon. Um, keep is my go-to because, you know, um, I think it, that's where the, the highest concentration of the yeah. majority of the cannabinoids are. And I can, you know, I know that I can, you know, with keep, I can just, just sprinkle out just a couple little dots, throw that yeah. in a bowl, and that, that's enough for me. That handles and gets me through. You know what I mean? That's but right. I did the same thing, yeah. and that's really by, you know, trial and error, trial and error, trial and error. Finding, but then, you know, I'll tell you, one of the biggest things that Lucid really just ticked me off is that, you know, I would go to a particular key strain and use that for three or four months, go back and pick up the same key from the same dispensary, and then yeah. go, what the hell is this? This isn't the same uh-huh. thing. But the claim is, but no, what happens is that new batch the flower that was keefed actually produced a different profile. That's right. And what people have done is then, so then I'd have to take that keef and mix it with some remnants of some of the keef that I had before to elicit the same response. Yeah. And then yeah, I started they, I tested, then I started realizing, oh, I know what I got here. Uh-huh. Yeah. The, and this is what makes flour so hard to nail down. Um, when you're dealing with blended concentrates, you can – very uh, easily control the, the the blend of things that are in that concentrate. You know, depending on how you're how you're extracting it. Um, Correct. But you know, certain vape pen uh, concentrates are are blends of cannabinoids and terpenes that are blended specifically. It's not just like, hey, we blasted this out of the plant and this is what the plant had, and we're just running with it. It's really like, no, we wanted to create this specific profile, and so we finally tuned it, and here you go, and you can get consistency out of those products time and time and time and time again. But flour is so variable. And, and not only is flour variable from harvest to harvest, it's, it's variable from plant to plant. The, the actual, like you could take a, a top bud off of a plant and a bottom bud off of a plant and test them both separately and find a, a slight variation in the chemistry off of the same plant alone, let alone one plant from one side of the field to another, let alone if you make a change in your growing medium or in your fertilizer or if just the sun happens to have a different uh, you know, there's more cloud cover in one given season than the one before it. Like those are all going to affect uh, how the cannabis is grown. So, you know, that's indoor growers. Seems, go ahead. Yeah, I'm sorry, but that, but you know, that's all why I'm also kind of, you know, I call it a formulator. But you know, I'd rather take, you know, a harvest and put it together, mm-hmm. and then take a look at all those buds. Now, you know, I'm I'm also one of these people who's, who's more of a purist. I don't believe in in 
trimming nugs down to these little, you know, finger size, <laughs> little yep. butt and throwing away the rest. I'd rather take, you know, a larger quantity of the natural plant. And, you know, if, if I have to, you know, for me personally, I do a real quick, you know, rough grind and then test that overall grind rather than That's just right. one bud. Yep. So, so labs do the same thing. It's called homogenizing the sample. And right. they'll, they'll take a homogenous sample to test and they'll say this test result stands for this uh, given crop, right? Um, when, when those test results are taken in, we get all that data and, and then we produce Connect. And, and one of the reasons why we produced this visualization was to show this variability. Um, when you look at, at Connect, you see this sort of like range of color in any given cannabinoid or terpene. And what that's showing you is that from harvest to harvest, from test result to test result, this grower is producing a range of potency around THC or CBD or terpenaline or beta-caryophylline that it's not always going to be the exact same thing over and over and over and over and over again. That there's even a range between test result to test result and then from strain to strain. Um, so it, it, it's really like trying to give the power of that education to the consumer. The, the thing is, is that it does require the same process you and I went through of journaling and experiencing, you know, different ways that, that cannabis affects you and remembering what those associated smells or, or characteristics were. Um, Connect is a, is a great map to help you navigate through that um, and, and really start to understand what you're smelling versus just like, you know, oh, this smells gassy. I think I, sh I like gassy stuff, you know, uh, it's right. giving you a little bit more of a refined palate. It, it, think of it like wine tasting, you know. When you start tasting wine initially, it just tastes like sort of vinegary alcohol. And then slowly but surely you start to pull out things like tannins. And then you can get really specific and kind of stupid with your language. And like, oh, I smell sweet, damp earth and, you know, toasted leather. Right. Well, you know, but that's what you have to do to be a discerning consumer. And Brad, I got to yeah. tell you, man, you and I, I could talk to you for days. And I'd love to have you come back. Please, I've got to have you come back. Yeah, man on uh, Let's Be Blunt with Montel because I think, you know, our listeners are going to really appreciate the work that you've been doing. i got to ask you one more question before I, because I think we're going to run out of time and I'm going to make this one too long so people Sorry. don't listen. But, you know, <laughs> what's, what's the future, my brother? What do, you, what, do you, what do you got planned in the, the next couple of months? Well, we're, we're launching our wholesale platform in California, which is going to be a, a, a big initiative. California as a state is often talked about as one cannabis market. But it's really like three or four cannabis markets. I mean, no it's question. totally different from NorCal to SoCal to Sacramento. Um, so we're, we're going to be really helping the California market out uh, over the next, um, you know, six months of the year while opening up probably a few other states. Uh, we'll be launching our initiatives on our corporate social responsibility strategy. So maybe whenever I come back, I can uh, give you an update as to where we're at with that and what's been going on. Um, Absolutely. You know, on the chemistry front, uh, one of the interesting trends that we're noticing right now is uh, the rise of CBG. Uh, for your listeners, like CBD, but uh, it, it's neuroregenerative, actually, uh, rather yeah, than neuroprotective. Can I, can, I, can I tell you something? Uh, this is really funny. The fact that you say that, I kid you not, over two and a half years ago, when I was formulating my first products, I was yeah. literally beating some growers and beating some formulators over the head saying, Listen to me, in the next two to three years, CBG will start becoming one of the more important cannabinoids out there. Yep. And they said, well, why? Well, because CBG, for those people out there who don't know, CBG is really what turns into THC, THCA, THCV, CBD, CBDV. 
It, mm-hmm. And for the first six weeks of grow, when you're growing a cannabis plant, if you tested it, pulled it out of the ground and tested it then, you'd find that you barely find any THC at all, very, very, very low levels because it's a CBG that turns into CBD. So it turns yep. into THC. So in a way, CBG is kind of like a stem cell cannabinoid. And it's a that's stem right. cell that turns into other things. Well, that's also what's going to be the power of helping to modulate the effects of THC and CBD down the road. But people percent. need to pay attention to this. And they haven't been. And so I've been really, really, really just beating my 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 manufacturers and, and my formulators overhead saying, we've got to get ahead of this. And I am so glad you even brought that up. Dude, Church, you, you called it. You, you literally called it because that that's exactly right. It, it is also called the God cannabinoid for that reason. It sort of, sort of gives birth to all the others. And, um, and, and, it, and it's existed somewhat on the hemp side of the market, but we're starting to see a number of different cultivators actually trying to create CBG-dominant THC plants. And, and, it's, uh, and they should. They should. And even, even, in the, that's right. even in the CBD side or the, the hemp side of the house, you know, you find CBG really prevalent in the hemp plant in its first four to five weeks. Why are we right. not harvesting some of these early on and extracting, taking it out, adding it back into or even spraying it over some of the yep. flower that we have to increase the viability and bioavailability of the THC and THCA. It's really kind of just ignorant to me that we haven't been doing this, but you know, I think that well, that's it's happening. On the horizon. It's yes, picking sorry. up now. Yeah, yeah, it's picking up now. And uh, we're getting a lot of demand from buyers uh, looking for CBG now in the states that we're running wholesale. Uh, we're seeing a lot more CBG uh, showing up in testing results. And uh, we know a number of different cultivators who are trying to breed these things. So uh, I think the rise of CBG is upon us, you know, uh, along with THCV. That one also has been identified uh, as a pretty um, popular uh, cannabinoid supposedly for its appetite suppression uh, abilities, yes. um, which we still need to like, you know, of course, do the research on. But uh, those two, those two cannabinoids are getting a lot of uh, a lot of buzz lately, and uh, hey, we're going to hey. start seeing a lot more of it. And we're going to also, I tell you, I'll throw it out here at you now, but CBN is going to mm-hmm. become a cannabinoid that people are going to be reaching out to, especially for its relaxing and its sleep aid yeah. ability. We're going to start to see a little bit more of that. So when you're looking at, you know, CBD products with a little bit, you know, I'm not, you know, we're not talking about having to raise the level of CBN up to 12 and 13 to 14 to 15 percent. No, you don't raise, need that. Raise the level up now. Raise the level up to like point, you know, one or to 1.1 percent, and that little addition will help give you a more for some, not all, yep. but for some, will give some people a more of a relaxing feeling in even their CBD product with no THC whatsoever. So, Brett, I I'm going to say thank you. Okay. Yeah, yeah. No, no, I, I want to thank you. I know a lot, of people that, uh, a lot of people that use cannabis use it for sleep. I think that's one of the more reported uh, desired effects of cannabis. And, right. uh, and I think you're spot on about that. You know, CBN doesn't need to be super big. It doesn't need to be super potent. THC doesn't for that matter. But uh, CBN is going to be uh, definitely much more on the rise because it's just one of the things that most people use it for. So, I uh, totally right. agree with you there. Absolutely, my friend. Well, look, I thank you so much for being a part of today's Let's Be Blunt with my talent. I'm going to make sure all of you listening out there, make sure you tune in to our next edition of Let's Be Blunt. And um, hopefully, Brad, you'll be back. Come on back, my brother. Let's talk a little bit more, even having a conversation about, you know, the breakdown of the different cannabinoids would be great. Love it, man. All right, man. You be well. Take care of yourself. And thank you all again for tuning in to Let's Be Blunt with my talent.